Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today. So make your way over there, Ecclesiastes 9. We're, there are 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, and in this profound book. So today we're at, at chapter 9, closing in on the end of this quest for meaning under the sun. Is there meaning under the sun? If we're only looking under the sun, can there really be meaning in life? I tell you what, if you want to know the most, or what the most important things in life are, then spend some time with somebody who has a terminal illness. You know, you spend some time with somebody like that, they know their days are numbered, it's very close to the end for them. All the real priorities of life begin to automatically rise to the top, and the less important things in life begin to sink to the bottom. Houses don't really matter that much at that point. Cars don't matter. 401ks don't even matter. The little daily annoyances that we have from our neighbors or people at work and all those kinds of things, those just kind of don't really matter much anymore. But Jesus matters in those moments more than he ever has. People matter. Uh, Heaven matters. Time, the time you have left matters. So today we're going to be reminded that Time is short on this earth under the sun. Solomon learns this lesson very clearly and really has, and he's going to say, and this is really to make the most of the time that you have left. Carpe diem, seize the day. Uh, Have you ever heard of Elisha Gray? Probably not, but I'm sure you've heard of Alexander Graham Bell, uh, the man who invented the telephone. Well, it's interesting, Elisha Gray was a Chicago electrician who filed a patent application for the telephone just two hours after Alexander Graham Bell did. (laughs) Two hours. A small delay of two hours cost Elisha Gray an enormous fortune. So what we're talking about today is don't wait to live life to the fullest, the way God wants you to live. All, All we have, all we have is right now to do the right thing. One phone call can change everything. One car crash can change everything. One diagnosis can change everything. So let's see what Solomon learned on his search for meaning. We remember that Ecclesiastes, again, is an under the sun search for meaning. It's important to keep in mind as we go through this. Remember, Ecclesiastes stops short of talking about eternity and heaven, but it leads a person to see their need for something above the sun. And that's the whole idea behind Ecclesiastes. The first thing we're going to look at is the hand of God. We're going to see Solomon talk about the hand of God here. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this. That was the purpose of this whole book, to consider, to go on the search, and then to declare it, to speak it. The word Ecclesiastes means preacher, and he's preaching this message. That the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth, 
either love or hatred by all that is before them. Let's look at that phrase, in the hand of God, for a minute. Uh, the, the righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hand of God. That means they are at the disposal of God, or under the supervision of, or in the care of God. What happens to us is not in our own hand. It's not under our own supervision. It is not in our care. Our future, he's saying, is in the hand of God. Psalm 66 and verse 9 says, which holdeth our soul in life. God holds our soul in life. The point here is you can do the right thing. You can do, you can make wise choices in life. You can help others. But still remember that you are not in control of what happens to you. You can try to do all the right things and you think this is how my life should go and this is how all, if it planned, I have it all planned out, it's gonna go this way. But your and my life are in the hand of God. This is, now this is really hard for a planner like myself, okay? I do not like surprises. As soon as we could with every baby that we've had, I wanted to know the, the sex of the baby. I, I'm not into surprises, waiting to the last day. I want to have everything ready. I'm just a, a planner as much as possible. But this verse is basically telling people like me to get over it. <laughs> get over it because God is in control. God has everything in his hand. It doesn't matter how righteous or wise you are. God allows unexpected things to happen in your life. And that's kind of the point that Solomon's making here. Your life and your future are in the hand of God. It says that no man knoweth either love or hatred, which is another way to say that your future might hold blessing, love, or sorrow, hatred. Kind of a harsh sounding way to say that, but that's kind of what he means. See, your future may feel like it's surrounded by love and sweet blessings, and you just feel, man, this is so wonderful. I'm just feeling so loved and wonderful. Or it may feel like everybody hates you. Your body hates you. Uh, even life hates you. <laughs> Every, everything hates you. Uh, we don't know what our future holds, uh, but we know who holds the future. And this is actually very comforting for me. Knowing what we know about God, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than in the hand of God. Some people have, you know, a mindset that might, they might think, oh, that I don't even want, I don't even want to think about what, you know, a God like that. But uh, it's, it's faulty thinking. It's faulty logic to go that way. Knowing what we know about our benevolent God, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but in the hand of God. It's the best and most safe place we could be. You know, the early American Indians, they had a unique practice of training their young braves. So on the night of a, a, a boy's 13th birthday, they, a, after learning hunting and scouting and fishing skills, he was put to the final test. He, they put him in a dense forest, and he's going to spend the entire night alone in the forest, his first time all by himself. Until then, he'd never been away from his family or tribe. And so um, he was blindfolded, taken uh, miles away, several miles away from their camp, and left there. And when they took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of these thick woods, and he would be terrified. And everybody would leave, and throughout that day and then all night, you, as you know, anybody who's ever tried to hike at night or go uh, into a forest like that, every sound sounds like it's you know, so loud. You hear every little twig snapping. You hear everything. He would hear everything. After what seemed like an eternity, the sunlight came up, and as the sun came up, he saw something. 
He saw the flowers, trees, and the outline of a path, but to his astonishment, he saw the figure of a man standing just a few feet away with a bow and arrow. It was his father. The father had stayed there all night long with him. See, unbeknownst to the boy, his dad was there. He was there the whole time. And this is what it's like to be a child of God in the hand of a loving father. Sure, he may allow things to happen to you, to strengthen you, to build you, to test you, to give you strength that he wants you to have, but he is right there. He is right there watching over everyone. But it is true that things do happen. The future holds some difficult paths, and it happens whether you're righteous or wicked. Verse two, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. So what he is making the point is it, the same bad stuff is going to happen whether you've done everything right or you've done everything wrong, honestly. If you go through this life, you're going to find that bad things happen to good people, bad people, and everybody in between. As he says here at the beginning, all things come alike to all. Everyone experiences time of pain and sorrow. Everyone. You know, I think of the Maui fires or the Paradise fires that we've had recently. Good Christian people losing everything right alongside their neighbors who are wicked. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, he's a Christian uh, author and um, just a, a good man, and he lives in Israel, and he's been so supportive of this war in Israel, on Israel's side, just helping them as much as possible. He has a Christian news service, and I just so appreciate his writing so often, but he has been, over the last few weeks, asking the Israeli government to rescue a thousand Christians that are trapped in northern Gaza. Those Christians, they've been living a nightmare with Hamas there in Gaza, and now they're swept up into this war, And just as all the wonderful Christian, like for example, our Christian friends in Ukraine and other places like that, these are good people. They're trying to do the best they can, serve the Lord, walk with the Lord, but in the middle of all that, they're caught up in this this craziness and this, uh, this horrible situation. You can do the right things, follow Christ, and still there will be times of pain. No one escapes from from life unscarred. Everybody encouraged this morning? All right, we're, we're, getting, we're getting there. These verses are a, a reminder, though, as you, we all know, of the fall of man. The book of Genesis tells us that Adam disobeyed God. And from that moment, sin entered into the world, and all the consequences of sin came with it. This earth is no longer the Garden of Eden. The word Eden in Hebrew means pleasure. This is no longer the Garden of Pleasure all the time. Bad things now happen whether you're righteous or you're wicked. And then the one big event, as this verse talks about, at the end of our time here, that big event that everyone faces is death. But thank the Lord, he still allows a great number of, pleasure, a great number of pleasures in our life, um, it's, it's, but it's not as it could be. Uh, so the world is broken. The point is, no matter who you are, saved, unsaved, righteous, wicked, you all, you're gonna have some good days, you're gonna have some bad days in this life, and then you will die. As the bumper sticker says, eat well, stay fit, die anyway. (laughs) That's basically how it goes. Verse 3, this is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil. 
and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. If you have an under-the-sun way of thinking, I'm only viewing life under the sun. I'm not looking above the sun. Uh, Only seeing the here and now and what I see in front of me, what I can see with my eyes. Then this whole idea of living life, listen to now, living life on a cursed earth, going through pain and struggles and uh, doing all the things that people do, and then at the end, this one event happens and I die. You just think about that from an under-the-sun perspective. That is miserable. I just live this life, all kinds of bad pain and heartache and all this stuff I go through, and then I just die at the end? That's, that's it? And Solomon seems to say that this idea causes many people to give up on life. They think if everyone has the same, same end, then why try to do good? What's the point? Why try to do anything? So, as it says here, their hearts are full of evil, and they go mad. They go crazy in foolishness. And then what happens? Then they die. It's very sad. It's a very sad state of affairs that we find among so many people in this world. They live in foolishness and and then just die. You know, I'm actually having more and more, it's interesting to me, I'm having more and more of these conversations with younger people. I'm talking about people in their 20s. As a matter of fact, just this week, there was a 20-something-year-old man who was talking to me about where he is in his life, and he was saying, I'm just so sick of all the endless nothingness of evil and all these friends that I have and all these people that are around, all the stuff I'm seeing. It just seems so pointless. It's, it's horrible. I need something different. He says coming to church and being around God's people is like a breath of fresh air to him. A teen girl told me a couple weeks ago, I just, I just want to be here because I'm looking around at all how bad all my friends are. And I just, it's, I just need something better, something cleaner, something good. It's, it's the misery of vanity. Pretty soon, it's gonna hit people. What is the point of all this? There's this is endless nothingness. It's just wickedness. But there is hope. There is hope, as these young people have found. And that is what we get a glimpse of next. Look at verse four. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> so even though, Solomon is pointing out something that's just some, just some serious bad news, if you will. This life is empty. But, uh, and, and the inevitability of our death and pain and things, sorrow that comes to us is just, it's going to happen. But now he starts to focus on life. Life matters. And he uses a proverb that was well known in that day about a dog and a lion to make his point. It's better, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Dogs then were seen as wild and filthy animals, and lions were revered. Even us today, I mean, honest, if you think about it, if you go to the zoo, nobody, nobody's going to look at the dogs at the zoo. <laughs> Everyone wants to see the mighty lion. But a living dog is better than a dead lion. In other words, it's still better to be alive with all of life's puzzles and injustices and, and the pains. It's still better to be alive than to be dead. As long as you're joined to the living, there is still hope. Things can get better. Better choices can be made. You still have time to do the things you should have been doing. But once you die, the main point here is, but once you die, all opportunities to do the right thing and to do what God wants you to do right here, to do the things that are good here, are gone. 
opportunities are out the window. You've, you've, you've done your time. That's it. And everything you've done is over. At least the dog has time to do something and improve is the point. Verse 5, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Solomon found that if you're just looking at life under the sun, life is better than death when you're alive because you know you're going to die. That's what makes it better. What a fascinating philosophy. A a good thing about living is knowing that you're going to die. Why would that be a good thing? The point is here so that you can make the most of the time you have left. That's why it's a good thing to know your end. Psalm 90 and verse 12, David said, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. People who prepare for death are very wise. They apply their hearts to what matters in life. They know they have a limited time here. This is a life that God, this is a portion of our life that God has given to us for a very special purpose, and He has given it to us for His purposes. But, you know, it's kind of like I was thinking about uh, when we prepare for something like uh, going to church, getting here to church on time in the morning. You know, those people who think of it ahead of time and get everything ready. My, my wife is so good to make put all the clothes, you know, for the kids, maybe even the night before sometimes, but, um, but helping everybody think and prepare and get ready for the next day. And this is similar to how we should prepare for death. Spiritually, first of all, are you born again? Are you born again? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your payment for your sin? Are you prepared for the day that you die? Second, mentally, are you prepared? Are you focused on what and who matters? Are you focused on what and who matters right now in this life? And then physically, are you doing the things that matter? Are you serving the way you should serve? Are you, uh, are you helping others the way you should help others? I think we need to ask ourselves the question, am I ready for death? One amazing question, actually, that I've heard that I think is so helpful in my brain, and that is, what are you doing to prepare for 10,000 years from now? You're going to be alive 10,000 years from now. You're going to be in eternity, either in heaven or hell, as the Bible says, and if you've accepted Christ, you'll be with heaven, but then he also has great rewards and great things that he wants to give. So are you prepared, and what are you doing right now to prepare for 10,000 years from now? Notice in verse 5 here that death ends all opportunities. All opportunities for knowledge, for rewards, and for legacy, really. And more, look at verse 6. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Your time and mine under the sun will come to an end in every earthly human experience, good or bad, love, hatred, envy, will be done away with. Death, the point is, death is such a finality. That's it. You're done. It separates us from all these human experiences. So, knowing all this, what do we do with all of this knowledge that weighs on our hearts? That we know it's a human experience, it's it's a true thing, we all will come to our end here. What do we do? What do we do with that? It's what we keep seeing over now and over in Ecclesiastes. And here is the joy of God. 
look at verse seven. So here's what Solomon says. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. So the first thing he says is go. Get going. Go after life. It's, it's, he's telling us, do not sit around in this life and pout about this thing that you know. This day that you know is coming. Do not do that. Don't be depressed about it. Go, get going, go thy way. Don't let the pains and the puzzles of life stop you from enjoying the joys of this life. Be intentional about enjoying the, the days you have left. And he gets practical. Eat bread with joy and drink wine with a merry heart. Now, of course, a quick side note here. The wine back then was much different than in alcoholic content than the wine currently at this moment. So this is not encouraging drunkenness, and I know that because Solomon has already made that very clear in the book of Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes and other places. So uh, we could push that out of, the side, out of the way for a minute. This is telling us, what this is telling us is to intentionally enjoy all of God's provision. Intentionally. I mean, think about it. Your needs and your wants are taken care of. You have so many wonderful things. Don't feel bad. Listen, don't feel bad about having a nice big meal. Eat your Thanksgiving feast. Savor every bite. One of the most enjoyable meals Elaine and I have ever had was a splurge that we did on an anniversary trip. And we, uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny. There's about eight of us, and we sat at this little table, and you pay, you know, an extra fee at this, this restaurant, and this chef, that's whatever, right? You know, he, and, and so he is going to bring out, uh, I think it was how many courses? Ten courses, maybe? Something like that. But it's, you know, small amounts each time. And, <clears throat> and it, was, it was a great experience, but it was brought out with much fanfare. You know, all the, the servers would bring it all out to all of us at one time, so 10 of them, you know, would be walking through with their little plates and set it down in front of us, and the chef would come out and explain every little piece of that as we would then begin to eat. And um, he even served us crickets, crickets, in a fancy way. You know, he put crickets on, on, your, on the food, and he convinced us that this was fancy and that we were very special because we got to eat crickets. But, um, but I, I just remember going through that saying, man, this is, this is, you know, it's such hoopla. It's just food, but it was, it was delicious in so many uh, factors. I just started, just, this is delicious, this is wonderful. It's, uh, but God says here, enjoy your food. Take your food, get your bread, and eat it with joy. Go ahead, enjoy the delights of the world. But remember, there is a right way to enjoy all of this. You have to enjoy it as a gift from God. That has to be in your mind. You have to be thinking, Lord, this is a gift from you. You provided this. This is all from your hand. Notice how Solomon brings God into it. That's what I'm saying. He says, for God now accepteth thy works. I believe what this is saying here is that God approves of all of this. He accepts all of this. You know, sometimes we Christians can get to thinking that any splurging or any kind of indulgence is a no-no. Like enjoying a big meal is somehow maybe not caring for the poor, or that God wants us to be fasting and contemplative all the time, so we shouldn't laugh. <clears throat> it's called asceticism, and it's not a biblical thing. I mean, who made taste buds? God did. 
Who designed all these beautiful things in life to look at? God did. Who put in us a desire for recreation and fun? Again, remember, it was called the Garden of Eden, pleasure. He wants people to be pleased. God wants us to, as he says in the New Testament, God richly enjoy all things. This is no slam to certain denominations, but it happens in many of them. There was, uh, this little story comes from a conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha. People were, the people in the pews were given helium-filled balloons, and they were said, they told them, hey, as soon as you feel some kind of just joy in your, in your spirit, joy in your heart throughout the service, I want you just to let go of that helium balloon. And it's gonna be like just praising the Lord, and we're gonna see all these balloons go up throughout the service. And so since they were Presbyterians, you know, they weren't the shouting hallelujah types. They just kind of sit there and, and listen. But, and, and through the service, balloons started to go up. But what was sad was that at the end, still one-third of the balloons were unreleased. People still had those balloons in their hands. The point is here this morning, let your balloon go. Express your joy to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done, all you've given to me, the time that I have here, whatever it may be. Help me just to live it to the fullest. But having said that, I do want to make the comment that it is probably more often the case that people do abuse the good gifts that God gives and take it to an ungodly extreme. We know that. And let me just remind everybody, if your pleasure is something that you have to hide, then it is not a legitimate pleasure in God's eyes. You should be able to thank God for what you're about to do. If it's, if it's a pleasure from God that there are no adverse consequences, none. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. That's the blessing of the Lord. So find satisfaction in legitimate pleasure. There's so much of it to enjoy in this life. Verse eight, let thy garments always, or be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. He's saying put on your best clothes all the time. Don't be living in mourning clothes, in funeral clothes. Get up and enjoy life while you've still got it. The ointment here means to put on your cologne and your perfume and go to the feast, go out. Get dolled up and have a great time. That's what, that's what he's saying. There are all kinds of feasts that God commands in the Old Testament. He is a God who wants us to enjoy the time that we have here on this earth. Verse nine, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. He says to enjoy your spouse. You have a short time under the sun with that person that you're married to. Tell them you love them. Kiss them every day. Flirt with your spouse. Say your little pet names. Enjoy your alone time with them. Notice again, this is what God hath given thee under the sun. This is what God has given you. She is a gift. He is a gift. Stop wanting them to be someone else and enjoy the time you have left with them. Them. This is your portion in this life. Don't waste it. This is your portion. This is what God's given to you and embrace every moment and relish every moment. And I want to extend the application here to the whole family as well. Family, all our families are special gift from God down here under the sun. It may not be always as we want, 
but it is a gift. We need to see it that way. Take the time to enjoy what you can enjoy in your family. Don't waste the limited time on our grumbling and despising everything. Go do what you love with the people that you love. That's what he's saying. Verse 10, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Again, we're looking at the under the sun perspective here. We we're not talking about heaven. We're not talking about eternity at this moment. We're just looking at this under the sun perspective. So he says, go create with your hands or with your mind, meaning work hard, be productive. Whatever you do, uh, be good at it. God places high value, not necessarily on what job you have, but how you do your job. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with thy might. Don't look down on your job, whatever it may be. God doesn't look down on your job, on your career. Try to enjoy what you do. Be a craftsman at whatever you're doing right now. Be the best <laughs> that you can be at your trade. I remember when our oldest son, Aaron, was about to go work at Sprouts. He was you know, uh, young, and he was going to go... Uh, bag groceries and push grocery carts, you know, around and bring them into the store. And I remember telling him, son, if I drive by Sprouts in Lodi, I don't want to see one grocery cart in that whole parking lot. I want to see the most spotless, beautiful parking lot in all of Lodi. And that one right there, and I think I told that to Lindsay too when she worked at Rayleigh's for a little while. But listen, the point is, I don't care what you're doing, give it all you've got. Give it all you've got. Take pride in your work because the time is coming when you're done. You're done with this part of your life. This time, this few, these few days that you have here are gonna be over. Of course, we understand this with an eternal mindset that we are always on God's mission for souls. And everywhere we go, we have a mission. God has given us a great commission. And uh, so he didn't leave us here purposeless. We have a job to do at every job that we go to. But even our work, it's all by itself matters to God. And that's what he's saying. We have a short time, the grave is coming, and our time will be up. Carpe diem, seize the day. After this great lesson, Solomon then gives more principles that he's learned on his quest for meaning. We're gonna end with the next last two verses here. And this is the timing of God. Verse 11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. Similar to what we just saw, we have to accept that under the sun life isn't always fair. All of our moms told us that. <laughs> life isn't fair. I don't know why it actually took Solomon so long to figure that out. I had to go on this long quest to find that one out. But actually, I have noticed, if you think about it, it takes us a while, too, to really get that in our head. We have a hard time accepting the idea that life isn't fair. Life should be fair. And yes, we want to see justice, and, and that's put in us by God, and we will see justice. But fast people, as he said here, on this, on this side of heaven, fast people don't always win the race. The strongest don't always win the battle. Wise people don't always have more wealth. Solomon found that on his search, and he said time and chance happeneth to everybody. There are just other factors in this world under the sun, like time and chance that happen, and you, we can't control them. 
Eric Little, uh, the great Olympic runner, used to sign his name, and after he would sign his name, he would put Ecclesiastes 9.11, this verse. The reason he did that is because he wanted to know the, the race is not to the swift. He wanted people to know that ultimately how everything plays out in our lives is in God's hands. It's in God's hands. Yes, I want to do my very, very best, but ultimately winning the race and all that kind of stuff and all the things that come with it, it has to come from God's hand. We tend to favor the strong and we, t- we tend to favor the gifted, but God does what he does. He's no respecter of persons and, and God knows what he's doing in this life and we are in his hands. Verse 12, for man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. In a moment, I know this is not encouraging, but I hope it's (laughs) life-giving to all of us and a good reminder here. But in a moment, our life can change like a fish caught in a net and a bird in a trap. Our life can turn on a dime. I've heard that you always want somebody to go with you if you're going to be screened for cancer. Because if they find something and, and they say the word cancer, then you, as the patient, you stop listening after that word. And you need somebody in that moment to start to ask questions, to hear, and to kind of take it all in. Life can change for somebody in a second. General George Patton in World War II, he fought in the war, he did all that he did. And then after the war, soon he died in a slow speed car accident. (laughs) I did a funeral for a young man in his 20s a while back who, uh, he just collapsed in his house, uh, bled out, they said, and died. They still are looking for the reason he died. They have no clue. No clue why he just, he just died. And this goes for all of us. Suddenly, in a moment, life can be completely over. Now is the time to do what you need to do. Say what you need to say in love to the people around you. Live joyfully. Uh, make, make an impact on the people around you. Encourage all the people around you. And don't wait. The tragedy of life, Richard Evans says, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. And while we're thinking in our mind, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this, God's saying, do it now. Do it now. Love the people now. <laughs> there was a farm boy who accidentally turned over his wagon load of corn on the road. There was a far- the farmer who lived nearby came out to investigate. He said, hey, Willis, uh, f- forget your troubles for a little while and come on in and have a dinner with us and then, then I'll help you afterwards get the wagon up. Well, that's not mighty nice of you, he said, but, uh, but sir, I, I don't think Pa would like that if I did that. He said, the farmer said, oh, come on, son, it's just dinner. But, but sir, come on, it's just dinner. Well, I'll help you when we're all done. Okay, but, but I know Pa ain't going to like it. Well, they went in, they had dinner, and Willis thanked uh, the, the farmer. He said, I feel a lot better now, but, but I just know, I know Pa's going to be really upset. And, and the farmer said, don't, don't be foolish, son. By the way, where, where is your Pa? He said, he's under the wagon. 
Uh, <laughs> we needed to laugh after all of that, but th- th- there is a good lesson here. Don't wait to do what you ought to do. <laughs> People in your life need you. They need you. Life will be over soon. Take the opportunity. Do it now. Do it now. Hug them now. Kiss them now. <laughs> do what you need to do now. Play. Have a good time. And do whatever you can for Jesus while we have the time. Lord, we love you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.